welcome to Podcast Like It's 1992, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1992 here from our, uh, what do I say, our post in 2023? Our perch. Our perch. Whatever. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Oh my uh, God. I am one of your hosts, Phil Liscove, and I'm I am your special guest host, Emily St. James, sitting in for your normal host, someone who hasn't been married since they were 22. So, um <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah with us today and i didn't even ask this before we got on so a- allison how would you like to describe yourself what is your what's your title oh my god former child actress <laughs> someone who someone who could have been something that's what you <laughs> well you definitely are something let's um, just say that but chief I mean... co- chief content officer of shondaland there you go um big fan of big fan of all things this and his podcast well that's very kind of you and obviously with us today as well as ashley lyle the co-creator of the phenomenal yellow jackets uh a, a show that emily knows nothing about obviously um so um this is first of all allison this is your first time back in many a moon so and this is your first and foremost it should be said this is the first time you are appearing with ashley so yes. this is a big thing. This is, the, you know, the, the the besties of besties that I know anyway. Uh, coming on to talk about basically one of two movies that I associate with the two of you. It's this and Reality Bites. Those are the two movies that I basically right. like. So oh. when we talk about Reality Bites someday, obviously you guys will come back. But Allison, you haven't been on for a movie since The Virgin Suicides in like 2017. Which We're is all I did was talk about 9-11. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it was a really... It's a ray of sunshine of an episode, but I want to find out, had you guys saw this in 92, around 92? Do you remember oh, when you saw this? For the first when time? It, yeah. What do you think, Ash? I think it was oh. not, I think, I thought it was VHS. I thought it was when we could rent it is when you and I first saw, but you might've seen yeah. it in a theater. No, I, I didn't see it in a theater because at that point, I did not really have the agency to convince <laughs> but we did convince karen lyle to take us to see threesome which is another podcast that is a whole story itself um my favorite uh, allison ankle stories the preview of that is that allison made us leave the theater (laughs) (laughs) her virgin ears could not be around threesome yep yeah, no, this was um, this was definitely a blockbuster special, or in my case, Hollywood video in sure. Elmar, New Jersey. We all Hollywood, yes, know- Hollywood video. Sorry, I just had I just yes, it was the Represent. best change. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was great. And um, we were also extremely obsessive about the soundtrack, as it seems. I would argue is its lasting legacy. <laughs> it's less the movie, more the soundtrack. You. Yeah, I mean. But Emily, you had never seen this film before. You watched this film for the first time today. Yeah, um, which is and... weird because I love I love Cameron Crowe. I mean, I, right? I don't love everything he's done, but I sort of, in general, I'm in his corner. So it's weird I hadn't seen this one, but I had. It does so. feel like a blind spot for most Cameron Crowe fans. I feel like just because I I, I feel like say anything, Jerry Maguire, almost famous, sort of the the bearing walls of Cameron Crowe fandom. You know, obviously Elizabeth Town, you get diminishing returns a little bit, but but all that being said, I was surprised you had not seen this one before. Yeah, you know, especially because I write a lot of roadies fanfic and yeah. uh post it on AO3. Yeah. I mean, no, I don't know. I I I very much was like I felt like I'd seen this movie, but I'd sure. seen reality bites. Like and they're, you know, <laughs> wrapped up in my brain the tracks i just felt like i had seen this movie because i had seen advertising in the early 90s like it's not to say that like 
this movie looks like a commercial, but commercials ripped off this aesthetic and yeah. Reality Bites aesthetic so much. It's just a bunch of like earnest floppy haired dudes and women with like a haircut that's like right here, just like, <laughs> you know, staring plaintively and it's kind of cloudy. And you know what? <laughs> sure. Why not? I mean, yeah. Stop and think about it. I think that singles and reality bites joined forces to single-handedly ruin an entire generation of women in terms of dating. Yep, that's what I. That's a. Is it, exactly is it because right. of the men that exist in these movies? Oh, I don't know, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, no, I mean. <laughs> It's yes, completely please. fine that that it was just like, oh, lower your standards. Does he say bless you when you sneeze? Good enough. <laughs> I mean, there is also, I mean, the fashion of that time is also, I mean, this is very kind of grunge adjacent. I mean, this movie's grunge, but Reality Bites is kind of grunge adjacent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very sort of MTV. Yeah. Um, all the guys look like they need a shower. Early hipster. I feel like Troy <laughs> from Reality Bites is like yeah. a type mm-hmm. for every single guy I knew in 2002. Oh, and I mean, you and Phil know this, Emily, in my office at Shondaland, there is one piece of art that hangs and it's a painting by Kevin Schmidt of a scene where Winona Ryder as Lelaine Pierce is standing with Ginny Garofalo between uh, Troy and also Ben Stiller's character. And I say, this is it. Me trying to pick between the two wrong dudes for most of my 20s. Like this wrong dude? Or this wrong dude, but they're appealing in so many different wrong ways. Sure. <laughs> I is not appealing in that movie at all. That's just wrong. <laughs> well, okay, but you don't think he's maybe There's physically a charm Ben Stiller, to him. but I mean, yeah. what Ben Stiller represents, I think, is somewhat sure. charming. That's... Yeah. Well, the point at which he believes in her work until oh. you realize he wants to bastardize it is also kind of charming too. Well, in contrast. The douchey corporate sellout is is the one we're rooting for now. Okay, yeah, yeah. until until he sells out. This is okay, but here I, I I do think this does kiss up against hey, singles. Hey, hey, yes, Phil. please, Emily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would fuck Ben Stiller in reality, but I would. <laughs> it would happen for me. I would do yeah. it. Okay. Well, speaking of that, I have a a, a question for for everybody here. Campbell Scott, mm-hmm. hot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He was actually one of my premier 90s crushes, which lasted well into Dying Young. Love that movie. That is a not good movie. But I don't know why Campbell Scott like kind of does it for me. It's so funny because this is indicative of how Ashley and I operated with crushes in general in 1992. Ashley's like, I can see the merit in a gentleman like Campbell Scott. And I'm like, have you seen Eddie Furlong's teardrop haircut? Do you understand how hot Fred Savage is? And Ashley's like, I like a 28-year-old surfer named Eddie Vedder. And we literally, we would tell each other stories of like, okay, let's imagine you're going to meet Eddie Vedder on an airplane. And then for me... This was our Stop primary. It. This was our primary sleepover activity. Well, not the only. There were plenty, including um, playing a lot of Nintendo pinball, making up songs, and um, dressing up Barbies like sluts and doing little <laughs> runway shows with them. But one of our primary sleepover activities was as we were falling asleep, we would we would. I guess we were just both born storytellers, for better or for worse. <laughs> And I'd be like, okay, Allison, here's the deal. You're going with your parents. You're flying to California. 
and in you're on the same flight as Eddie Better or no Eddie, Eddie Furlong is my Eddie. Mm-hmm. And I, I would tell an entire story about how they would meet while we were they were waiting to board the plane, and then he would end up sitting in the seat next to her. Like I these long, very detailed narratives that we would tell each other about meeting. But I just like that in turn, I'm like, so Ashley, you age 12, we're going to meet Eddie Vedder, age 26. He's married. We're going to blow past that. Sorry, Beth. And then it's so funny because obviously we'll get to this, but Eddie Vedder being a meaningful part of this movie. I remember Ashley would always just beam and go, a compliment for us is a compliment for you. (laughs) That was like the one line I always remember you saying all the time. Mm -hmm. Eddie Furlong's lines are a little more complicated. His voice is a very high pitch, but yeah. I would just fast forward to the Eddie Vedder scenes. I was I was a huge Vedder head. I loved it. I would spend all my babysitting money on weird fucking like European import singles. I it was it was a situation. So Eddie Vedder, this is his only acting performance that I know of. Is there another I, one that I think we should put acting in quotes here? <laughs> um, he's he's delivering of. lines. He is saying words on camera, yes. I mean, you never saw his turn in, in Chekhov's Uncle Vanya on Broadway, so. <laughs> I'll just say this, though. He, he's of the, of the acting musicians in this movie, of which there are a couple. Mm-hmm. He's the best. Like, he's yeah. the most believable. Uh, Chris Cornell's reaction shots at the steps <laughs> of the building are pretty good. They're fine. He's He is inches from looking down the barrel of the lens. Like, he just, he seems very unsure of himself. And and I think it's Emmett, right? He's the, the right? My, oh, Jeff, the bassist Jeff, from yes. Brother, yeah. Jeff Ment, yes. Yes, sorry, my apologies. He has a couple lines where he literally has to be like, come outside like they're just literally like just basic hey come outside and he just completely fucking drops like they're just brutal but all that being said um emily i am curious you watched this for the first time today you texted Mm -hmm. me your initial Mm -hmm. text was campbell scott all wrong for this yeah it was your first it was That was your he, first and he one. wasn't he wasn't the first choice for the role. No, right? he, was he wasn't. He, he wasn't. Was it was uh, uh, it was Johnny Depp, which is you know we'll just skate right by that. But <laughs> well, uh, no, I, I actually not to not to play not to correct you, but I believe Johnny oh. Depp was up for the Matt Dillon role. Um, I believe that there were other people up for the Campbell Scott role. Did but I'm Wikipedia not sure lie to me? Wikipedia. Lied to wow. Um, the Campbell Scott. <laughs> Uh, I couldn't find out, but there were like rumblings online that like he was not at the top of Cameron Crowe's list for what it's and worth. And they like, didn't they didn't want him because his hair for dying young was so short they almost didn't hire him. Do you remember this? Like that was also online too that like he had because he was playing a dying cancer patient, he had really short hair and they're like, I don't see it. See, <laughs> I think he's kind of perfect because he's got very strong Judd from real world yes. vibes. Yes. Like, feels to me like the quintessential normal 90s dude as opposed to the like going straight into the grunge dude or again like the Ethan Hawke vibe like yeah. I feel like he feels a little bit more real and it actually yep. rounds this movie a little bit like he just feels like he would be a normal guy in the 1990s just trying to date trying to compete with all the Matt Dillons and Eddie Vedders of the world <laughs> and uh yeah and wait, Emily, Emily, who would have been all right for the role? Yeah, who's your, in, yeah. who's your topic? I mean, 
it's like Ethan Hawke. Like that's the problem. It's like Ethan Hawke is just there was the guy, one guy. should come in. Yeah. And do this. Like, uh, I, I like Campbell Scott. Like I've liked him in basically everything else. I was excited to see him in this. I think he is the perfect star for a different version of this movie wherein like the Cameron Cronus of this movie clashes with its like low budget indie vibes. And like the Cameron Crow dialogue is so ultra specific and kind of requires a man who feels like he's saying it five inches from your face to work. And like, I'm not sure I, you know, I don't think Campbell Scott has been five inches from like a partner's face. I think he's a very polite, sweet man who stands like, arms length apart from you mm-hmm. and reaches out and holds your hand and says how was your day honey and you say thank you Campbell Scott it was great. <laughs> I, I guess the thing that kind of hit me also is and you mentioned sort of that the Kira Sedgwick first of all their names are Steve and Linda the oldest fucking names you could possibly imagine I mean Bridget Fonda's Janet so it's like that's what I'm I saying think, why yes. has everyone got old people names what if this was a script that Cameron Crowe wrote that was like set in a retirement community oh. and the studio cannot do that. We have to make it about 20. You know, he did. I read that he did write it and he wanted to make it in 1984 and set it in Phoenix, Arizona. But then the studio, he'd had like a, um, a kind of a, a flop in the early eighties and the studio's like, oh, I don't know about this Cameron Crowe guy, but, and he reinvented it when he had married Nancy Wilson, he like mm-hmm. reinvented it around the scene that was exploding in Seattle. Yes, I googled something before no, our as, gathering, as, and we appreciate you doing the research. I, it I is was interesting because, so like, he does. Yeah, it's funny. So his, his directorial debut is "Say Anything," which is in '89. Mm-hmm. Um, he writes a movie called "The Wildlife" and produces it—a movie I've never heard of, and I don't know what that is. That's but... the one that was the bomb, "The Wildlife." Right. He wrote okay. yes, um, and then singles does sort. It is sort of fascinating because, like, you, I'm assuming um, Ashley and Allison have watched the. Cameron Crowe Pearl Jam documentary. Yes, I saw it in the theaters, right? opening night, Cinerama Dome. Hey. Wow. All right. Jesus. Humble brag. Um, I did not. I watched it at home. Um, but I liked it, and it does feel like he kind of stumbled into something, right? Like he stumbled into the grunge scene, and then all of a sudden we're like, holy shit, this is and then it turned into what it turned into. So there was no way I, he could have known it was gonna turn into that, but yes. Okay. I want to take issue with that because Cameron Crowe, before he was a screenwriter, was a fucking top-notch music journalist. I am one hundred percent sure he was like paying attention to this bubbling up and he like okay had the right timing, you know? Like I mean, um, I, I think, you know, he continues to write occasional pieces about music that are really smart. Like, he seems still kind of tapped into it, even if now he's an old man, so his tastes are very old man. But, like, sure. you know, I think he probably saw it coming because the groundswell of it was happening long before Nirvana. And, like, I think he was probably, like, tapped sure. into that. When does – so, forgive me. I'm not nearly as tapped into this music scene as you guys are. So, um when does nevermind comes out in 93 91 91. yeah 91 91. oh wow okay even earlier so yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so he's okay so then yeah i mean it is it's it's reasonable to say that he's sensing something up there but yeah yeah and like they're probably in production on this when smells like teen spirit hits number one well yeah and the building that they shot in where that is the coffee shop is the Mm -hmm. okay hotel or whatever and that is where nirvana first performed smells like teen spirit live so it was like also a venue so yes, I think I think you're right, Emily, that I think he was sensing a moment and therefore was like, wait, what if I like I would argue this movie came out like a little bit too early yeah. to like really catch yeah. that wave because it yeah. doesn't do nearly as well at the box office as Reality Bites. And like Reality Bites comes out exactly when that wave mm-hmm. is cresting. So yeah. 
I also do wonder whether Reality Bites uh, is is cresting off of this, is in the sort of the, the tail of this movie. But yeah, sorry, Ashley. Well, I was just going to say that Allison and I um, once wrote a feature. Well, we didn't write the whole thing, but we wrote some of it called Seeking Seniors. And it was yep. a um, yeah, the idea is Jack Black has like a dating service and he goes to old folks homes to like kind of rip them Great. off. But he meets that. he meets um a, it was Alicia Tyler, right? Aisha Tyler rather. Tyler, we're so like we were, we Aisha were Tyler back in like what was this maybe 2000 1999. She was good on the soup, right? That was a, it was like there was an E thing so we were like, "Oh, she's the cool nurse. They meet yeah. and fall in love." It's like and then it was like an Adam Sandler remember yeah. we Yes, this was this was where our brains were at at that point. We we're like, let's write an Aisha Tyler Adam Sandler rom com set in a retirement home is where we were at. So you know, old people sex jokes. I think it would have worked. But look, by the way, you could do that today and it would work. <laughs> um, I do want to give a little bit of context for our listeners. Uh, the synopsis of this film is in Seattle during the era of grunge music, the lives and relationships of a group of young people are uh, all living in the same apartment building, going through a period of flux. Among them are waitress and aspiring architect <laughs> Janet, played by Bridget Fonda, who finds herself obsessed with bad boy musician Cliff, played by D- uh, Matt Dillon, Linda, played by Kira Sedgwick, an emotionally fragile environmentalist on the lookout for love, and Steve, played by Campbell Scott, a quintessential nice guy who studies traffic patterns. <laughs> God oh my God, and the best part is when you see my husband TJ, we rewatched this together <laughs> sure. a few nights ago, and he was like, wow, uh, do you think they work in traffic? The set design, where it's just <laughs> giant signs and stoplights we're like we get it cameron he <laughs> works for the seattle the production design is and yet, and yet his his grand problem it's actually such a great moment i thought because he's been working so hard on public transportation yeah. he wants to take seattle into the 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 future yeah. and they're like people like their cars though and, <laughs> oh i mean the environmentalist he's dating is like i like my car too i much. like my car though i like my car though <laughs> Um, so singles opened on september 18th 1992 against sneakers captain ron husbands and wives and school ties it would go on to make 18 million dollars on a nine million dollar budget it's got 79 percent on rotten tomatoes and 70 from critics 73 from audiences roger ebert gave the film three stars and he said this movie will challenge some audiences simply because it's not a one two three progression of character and plot there is no problem at the beginning and no solution at the end <laughs> the film is about a life in progress uh, and that by nature is inconclusive the search for happiness crow's insights into the material uh, include one particular perception in your 20s you tend to spend more time putting yourself on the map than worrying about anyone else's happiness look at the earnestness with which scott's uh, character promotes his idea for a seattle rapid transit system does he believe in trains only to a degree but he really believes in his trains <laughs> singles is not a cutting-edge movie and parts of it may be too whimsical and disorienting for audiences raised on cause and effect plots but i found myself smiling a lot during the movie and sometimes with amusement sometimes with recognition it's easy to like these characters and care about them i mean i don't disagree with that but emily you said something to me you texted me something as you were watching that i do think is very astute which is it does feel like a pilot <laughs> like it feels more like a pilot than a movie because it's kind of just like setting a bunch of stuff in motion and then like kind of wrapping up some of them but it's really just the romantic stuff that they wrap up and like it's such a tv premise all the people that live in this apartment building especially in this period there's like a dozen shows that are doing this yeah like they're they're all sexier than singles but like you could see the uh edwards wick marshall herskovitz version of this that's like 
just a kind of low-key slice of life, 20-somethings in an apartment building. And as we all know from roadies, television is Cameron Crowe's ideal medium. So, like, well, Cameron Crowe accused, he accused friends of stealing the idea he did. from singles, right? But I do want to say, implied, not impl- I mean, they did try to make a television show version of singles. I don't know if it was at NBC. But they tried to develop it. And then when Friends happened, he felt as though there was a connection there. I'll say this. When I read that before watching this movie, I was like, all right, Cameron. And then there's a moment where this like jaunty, jingy, like this jaunty kind of score. And we're outside the coffee shop. And then we cut inside to this character. I'm like, Cameron might have a point. <laughs> like he might. There's also a fountain. A fountain yeah. is very central. Yeah. Right. There's really also. Toxic- yeah. uh, don't forget the scene where Jeremy Piven shows up dressed as the holiday armadillo. Like that was like <laughs> kind of that felt. It was a little on point. Yeah, yeah. it's true. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, listen. I don't think that he, clearly. I imagine he consulted with some lawyers and felt that he didn't have a leg to stand on for an actual lawsuit. But like, I do think that there's something to be said for the connection would also have to see two guys a girl in a pizza place and like <laughs> it becomes such a burden one. to have yeah. to sue all of these shows that are similar yeah well, i mean yeah he's also kind of doing you know kind of drafting off what independent film is doing right now like what's what's all that's happening is american independent film is being more and more homogenized for a mass audience sure. which is fine friends is a very fun show but like friends is like Richard Linklater, like, you know, sells out 15 times and that's how you get friends. And like, this is like halfway along that spectrum. I I get where Crow's coming from, but at the same time watching this, I was like, they're, they're very different things in most ways. It's funny you say that, Emily, too, because I did look up, I used to live in Austin. I went to UT in part because of Linklater and like being such a fan of him. That's where I wanted to go to grad school for film and stuff. And um, the Austin Chronicle gave this movie two stars and essentially insinuated it was like a slacker ripoff. Like it was trying to be slacker. That's interesting. And which had come out, I guess, two years before, a year before, or whatever it was. Yeah. I mean, it's it's very much a hangout movie, right? Like it's the type of movie that you would like put on while a bunch of people are just, you know, you're just hang- like, it doesn't feel like it demands your attention particularly. I don't think that it's trying to either. Like it just wants to be kind of just you know, spend some time with these characters. I I do think, though, that, like, the thing that I found myself bumping up against the most on this rewatch was really the two kind of central romantic relationships of this movie, which I wanted to sort of, I wanted to be more engaged with, and I was kind of surprised by how I wasn't. (laughs) Like, I do think that the timeline of the Steve Linda stuff is super bumpy and weird. There's times where I'm just like, why is he giving her a garage door opener? He hasn't even kissed this person yet. Like, I don't, like, there's just, like, the stuff just doesn't line up particularly well between the two of them. And there's, like, this roller coaster of stuff that they go through, but I have no idea the duration of time that has passed. And I just, I just found them both sort of, like, I just found them very old. I just found them very, I was just like, Jeez, these, I'm, I'm just, I'm just for that, like, midlife, but they weren't even midlife. <laughs> they're not like 20 they're fucking 22. No, they're, or the... they're supposed to be 30. I think Janet's 23 just graduated. I looked at, I think they're like okay. 29, 30. Yeah, Cause they have she like has careers. That, she has that moment when she's like 23 seems so old. And I was just like, I'm literally going to throw myself into traffic right now. You're talking about 23 being so old, but I, 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 I don't know. There was something about the Steve and, because I think if you had to pick one kind of arc 
that you're supposed to be latched onto through this movie? I think it's Stephen Linda, or do you think it's Jay? No, it's true. I think it's, I personally think it's a little bit of both. Maybe I just don't have the highest expectations for my (laughs) rom-coms. I like a a nice little low stakes romantic comedy. Sure. But I liked, I, I think what I like about it is it's not, it's not a, you know, how to lose a guy in 10 days. Oh, it's yeah, yeah. like, you know, super high concept. Speaking it's, seniors. It's not like a big commercial. Big commercial, juggernaut. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the problem, I, I feel like what I liked about it, and maybe this is now me applying the lens of, of hindsight and looking at my own dating in, in my 20s, but, like, a lot of the ups and downs don't make any fucking sense. True. I feel like every every relationship I had in my early 20s and I was a bit of a serial monogamist, it's like, we're super into each other and now all of a sudden you're being weird and I don't fucking know why and oh, now you're into me again? Okay. And it's, <laughs> I think that, that that rang true to me upon rewatching it and, you know, the even the garage door opener and her getting weird about it, it's like, that made sense to me in how much it didn't make sense. And I, think I get that. I, I think what I sensed this modern dating is, is just two people not communicating particularly well and not mm-hmm. knowing how to process their feelings and their, whatever they're bringing to the table personally in terms of their insecurities and trying too hard or not trying enough. I mean, like to me, it, it actually feels like a more authentic look at dating than a lot of other movies but that also means it's not overly dramatic in a filmic sense sure. it's just kind of there I, I don't disagree with any of that I, I guess what I sensed watching it this time is how much it feels at sort of a stepping stone for Cameron Crowe between Say Anything and Jerry Maguire in the mm-hmm. sense of the, the the intimacy and the smallness and I mean that in a positive way of say anything, which does feel very grounded and very believable and is sort of baked into this um, messy relationship between these two people. And then Jerry Maguire, where he figures out how to do something on a big canvas, how to do something with big ideas, how to keep a lot of plates spinning. And singles feels a little bit like it's being pulled in those two directions of of someone trying to figure out how to do those two modes, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But I just think that was something I noticed. The thing, the thing I said earlier about how all Cameron Crowe like protagonists kind of need to be a guy who seems like he's shouting at you from five inches from your face. I think like I think if I'm zeroing in on it, like the through line from John Cusack to Tom Cruise is their hallmark greeting cards that op with the logic of a con artist they always seem like they're trying to trick you into something and that something is like deep sincerity and it's fair it's like a very fucking tricky balance and like the neat thing about almost famous and why i think it's it's i think i prefer jerry Maguire, but almost famous is a great movie is that like he gives that to the supporting players the lead guy is just kind of a, a cool naive and then you have like like philip seymour hoffman is kind of the the Jerry Maguire of that movie. So like, but I think that you Campbell Scott's dialogue, like on the page reads like that guy, but Campbell Scott himself is playing it in a very toned down earnest way. And I just, I think that's why the, the the tones don't entirely mesh, even though they both work perfectly well for what they're trying to do. It's interesting though, because if you compare 
to my mind, comparing Steve to, sorry, I've got a, a very vocal cat. I here. heard that. Love it. Yeah, Delilah's a desert cat right now because she needs eardrops. And, uh, <laughs> I love the way you said that. Yeah. Um, she is she is reveling in her only cat status, though, right now. Um, but back to not cat talk. Uh, I feel like Steve and then uh, Jerry Maguire and, um, oh, my God, why am I blanking on? Lloyd Dobler? Lloyd Dobler. possibly forget. Is that I think you're right, Emily, and that they're they're written similarly, but there's something about what Cusack and Cruz bring to those roles where in retrospect, there's like a vague creepiness to it. Yes. Like mm-hmm. when when you first watch Say Anything for me as, you know, a middle schooler, mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, he's so romantic. And I watch it now and I'm like, dude, too much. Like, you're actually being a little toxic and like yeah really really entitled when it comes to Ioni Sky's feelings mm-hmm. and I think what's so refreshing about Campbell Scott is that you can root for him without feeling like you are maybe rooting for someone who might go off the deep end Agreed. when he when he kissed Bridget Fonda though I was like come on man <laughs> I I yeah. will say I, I do agree with what you're saying Ashley because it's funny as it was happening because like he really is oh a baby has entered the chat there's a baby oh my gosh this angelic cupid doll yeah, face. it's 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 ridiculous it's listeners just... <laughs> i listeners i gasped <laughs> um i i as it was because like steve does a couple things with linda that on the page i'd be like no 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 no, no. don't yeah. go to her apartment don't go to her office like <laughs> let, let her be Campbell Scott does make that palatable and not creepy, which I agree with you 100% on, actually, that, like, in the hands of somebody else might have come across as too much. Oh, yeah. If Johnny Depp had been in that part, which he probably Potentially, yeah. But, yeah, yeah like, but, like, he would have been way too much. He would yes. have been way too, yeah. Yes. There's cats, oh there's babies, there's That so cat kind of looks like Delilah. Right like, there's a lot <laughs> happening amazing. right now. I'm just I, looking at a cat butt. <laughs> but I do think I I I I'm very curious to hear what the 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 three uh, ladies on this podcast think of the female characters in this movie because I do think that first of all speaking as as a male huge crush on Bridget Fonda in this movie as a, as a teenager I was like the dream woman and very similar to a, a Cameron Crowe prototype of sort of like of that moment what is the platonic ideal and. I think she's great in this movie. This is the the third time we've seen Bridget Fonda in 1992. Uh, we saw her in Single White Female. We saw her briefly in Army of Darkness and now in this. And I, I think this is my favorite performance of the three. I don't know, Emily, what you think. But how did Bridget work for you guys in this? And, and, and did it work for you? Now I just want to see Singles White Female. I think that's the matchup <laughs> yeah. that I really want. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, perfect. Singles, singles, white female of the dead, or whatever. Um, I, I really related to her, especially mm-hmm. where she's at in her life in her early twenties. I mean, mm-hmm. not that I've ever tried to, you know, mold or shape myself to get a guy to like me. Not this, not this, Allison, not, not this, not this chief no. content officer. <laughs> I, um, I really, it's so funny. The part there are parts of her, like every character in this, that feel like a little. Um, it's like, oh, I was almost fully aligned and relating, and now there's an extreme moment. But I think right. it's very funny when you first meet her, 
you know, things. I think it's the first time we meet her is her talking to Cliff about the status of their relationship and her being like, oh, Cliff, you're so funny, pretending we're seeing other people. And he's like, "Mm, I couldn't be more serious. (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't be more serious. I'm like, oh, you. I definitely feel like that is that's the extreme version of a sentiment I think a lot of women can relate to of this, especially of like, it's weird, too, because I think so much of why I had an absolute blast rewatching this is because it is a nostalgia bomb. And I did just think of like eating jelly bellies with Ashley and like mooning over these this lifestyle. Like, oh my God, can you imagine the dream? You're living in Seattle, you're in the music, you go to rock shows every night, you're just wearing sports bras with flannel shirts like it's clothing. I love it. Like I want it. And um it is weird because when she does start to take herself seriously about architecture. The truth and the lie here is that like, okay, that is what works. Like the minute you don't care anymore and you're like, I'm going to, like, I'm trying to make myself over for this dude. It unmoors that person who was so used to your love and attention and worship, I think. So I think I, Kira Sedgwick's character, Linda is more of a, a person because I was so far away from ever being her when I watched it. I think even rewatching it, I still feel removed and at a distance from. Mm-hmm. Ashley, I don't know what you thought. but I. I completely agree. I feel like Bridget Fonda is surprisingly extremely relatable and there, you know, Cameron Crowe has a tendency to sometimes skew manic pixie dream girl. Sometimes? It's going to be diplomatic. And I think that, that her character, Janet could have easily gone that way. And instead, and, and again, I think that compared to, for instance, Reality Bites, this has, like, a great lesson for women, which is, like, fuck the guy who won't say bless you. Fuck the guy that you're changing yourself for. Focus on yourself. Don't allow someone to take you for granted. And guess what? You're going to shock the shit out of them when you're not just doing everything in your power to make them like you. And, you know, just, just... I don't know, be, be who you want to be. And like, that's actually a really progressive message. I feel like for 1992 and, and it's interesting to me because Bridget Fonda is so beautiful, but she is relatable. Like she's not, you can see yourself in her. And I think that, you know, to some extent, Winona Ryder with Lelena Pierce is, is similar in that way. And it's, it's, it's really interesting that you can, they take these absolutely stunning, you know, women and be like, no, I see myself in her. I got, I got a little Lena Pierce in here. But like, you know, when she's like on the phone with her fucking uh, 1-900 psychic, I'm like, oh, been there, lady. I mean, I literally gave a speech at my college graduation and I was like, I'm Lena Pierce. I've done it. I want to be a filmmaker. Also, Emily's baby has exquisite neck control. I need you all to know this. Um, that kid knows what to do with a neck. Uh, seven months? Sure. I, I can't. Yeah. It's no. unbelievable. Yeah. No. She's, yeah. yeah, that might have caught my... But also, I do think... The, here's the other thing I think is actually pretty real in the Linda storyline. Like, uh-huh. the thing I could have I, I could have seen myself doing is, like, you find yourself pregnant with someone that you're having a very intense relationship with, which you think is very adult. And you're like, let's do this crazy thing. I think I could have seen myself, like throwing myself into that kind of a like, okay, yeah, I guess we're going to do this thing. I think that, and I'm sure at the moment, um, that was also kind of a slightly revolutionary thing to have in a movie in 92, like to like, just talk about that. Like, okay, you've been dating a minute and you get pregnant. What are you going to do? But then they kind of, they 
they they kind of do that's the they, they cheat yeah. a little bit in terms of I mean I'm like that car accident made her lose a baby I don't understand I thought it was a fender bender I can't even remember well, yeah, it was it was I mean it was uh, but she I, goes I, to the hospital too like she does uh, no it's uh it's I, yeah, the 90s move you know um where yep. you're you know the the my my favorite example is the show party of five was going to yep. have Nev Campbell Yep. have an abortion and at the last second the network was like no she has to have a miscarriage so they had her have a miscarriage on the way to the abortion clinic which is <laughs> even as a like sweaty. a as was like a super fender bender? what happened no, it just happened on the way it happens yeah really wow yeah okay yeah. Um, i do think bridget fonda uh rocks some great great hats in this movie um some she she can pull off a hat um, I, I, I want to talk for just a quick second about something um, that you guys probably have not watched, which is the deleted sequence with Bill Pullman. Um, there is 16 minutes, one six. That is a lot of cut scenes uh, of an entire arc of her dating Bill Pullman um, and then breaking up with Bill Pullman uh, or him dumping her. Um, it's fine oh, he dumps her he dumps, he dumps her. her it's very strange it's like so the scenes that that are in the movie where she goes to his clinic or she goes to his whatever he tells her you don't need the surgery she ultimately agrees with him the breast she, the breast enlargement the breast, the breast enlargement surgery um and then you might remember in the the shot movie she kisses him right she gives him like a kiss on the cheek on the right? peck yeah a peck. yeah a peck on the cheek uh in this version he kisses her back and there's kind of this like moment of like what's going on here, and then we cut out of that scene. Then <laughs> we cut to them now again. This would not have been the sequence of events, the, the way that they're laid out in the deleted scenes. But basically, they're in her bathtub having sex with all of these like candles around them, and it's like very like you know soft core whatever. And but like also Cameron Crowe was all kind of like cute and kind of whatever. And then, do you remember in the film there's that sequence where she's waiting on a phone call and you think that she's waiting for the phone call from from um, Matt Dillon? Yeah. In this, it's actually the original version. She's waiting on Bill Pullman to call her, and oh. Bill Pullman isn't. Aren't we all back. though? Aren't we all waiting on Bill Pullman to call? I, him? I, yeah. He's my president, Bill Pullman, my president. <laughs> so long story short, he. They have sex, but then he quickly gets cold feet and kind of doesn't call her back and then eventually goes over to her place and he breaks up with her. And there's this very sort of heightened magic realism breakup scene where he's dressed up like a clown and then he's dressed up in all these different things. And eventually he's doing quick changes during his breakup. Well, I guess. Yes. I mean, take take from it what you like. And then ultimately they break up and that's the end of it. And as I texted you, Allison, when you were trying, when I was trying to sort of, I was like, I can't find this. I'd like to watch it, right? I think that the ideas are interesting, and I actually think if you wedged in this relationship with Bill Pullman in between the kind of time away from Cliff, I actually think it would have bolstered and and helped that relationship because she kind of leaves the movie for a chunk, and we sort of don't, and then like the Cliff thing just kind of materializes i'm not saying that i actually like the stuff that's cut i think the scenes are fine the ideas are there the execution's not great this is all just a long way of saying that like the bill pullman stuff they have a really nice chemistry and in 99 they're in lake placid together again i was gonna ask don't they do a movie together at some <laughs> yeah, point yeah they, they, they fight a giant uh, alligator together um as one does uh they're great um 
they have a really interesting chemistry. And I guess this is all just a long way of saying that I feel like Janet's character and Bridget Fonda's character isn't necessarily given justice in this movie. Like, I, I, I like her. I'm interested in her. And I don't know that it actually pays off. I think... And this is a discussion we had earlier, Phil, which is that I'm convinced the generational cutoff line between Gen X and Millennial is if you really care about Bridget Fonda. And it marks me as a Millennial because I just don't care about Bridget Fonda <laughs> at all. Like, I don't get it. I don't get her. I don't get her at all. I think you had really? to be there. I th- like I like her in um, A Simple Plan. I've liked her uh-huh. in things. But like in these movies, I'm like, oh, she was the it girl. Okay. Like, I like her. I like her in these movies. I just don't get it. I think she's okay. I don't know that it's she fun. was ever an it girl is the thing. Yeah. I like, I'm I... curious, Ashley and Allison. Oh, no. Like... La Femme Nikita, though. There was like, uh, right? The, oh, what's the Point of No Return? I think Point of No Return. The, the, the yes. remake of her. Yes. Yeah. 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 I remember like I was an avid Entertainment Tonight watcher. And she okay. was all over Entertainment Tonight that year. Okay. You know? okay. I, like, I, I just, you know, I I grew up in South Dakota. I took my pleasures where I could get them. You were talking about Eddie Furlong or Eddie Vedder sitting next to you on an airplane. My fantasy was that Jody Sweeten from Full House's car would break down outside my house and she'd have to walk oh, up the driveway and we'd just hang out. We wouldn't even kiss or anything. We'd just hang out. We'd just hang out and, and paint our nails. Yeah, great. that's right. I, so what I think is interesting about the Bridget Fonda thing too, because I don't disagree with you, Emily, that like she definitely had a moment, but I also feel like she kind of walked away a little bit. Like she mm-hmm. had her moment and then was like, eh, and she married Danny Elfman. And she's like, I don't really want to be an actor. And that was kind of that, which I sort of respect. Um, she's I mean, fucking respect Gen her. X's Grace Kelly. But she also, because <laughs> she was offered after Lake Placid, because she worked with David E. Kelly, she was offered Ally McBeal the role of Ali McBeal Whoa, and she, I and she see turned it. it down. Okay. I can see um, that. And I do think that I can see it too. Like, I think she would have, she would have crushed it, but to your, to your point, Emily, I do think Bridget Fonda is a little bit of like a cuspy thing. I, don't, I, don't, I think, I think one of the things I'm, I'm struggling with in this episode in particular, but just in general with this series is like my upbringing was so different like by the time so uh, Bridget Fonda talks about being you know 23 and that seeming old when you're young and as a, as a precocious 17 year old I'll agree that 23 year old 23 year old seemed very old to me um but I mean I was married when I was 22 and I was old to get married where I grew up like where I grew up people were not like dating like this you know they were like getting married they were like dating in high school and then they'd like stay with their girlfriend that they were with when they were 19 and then they get married at 21 and now they all have like teenagers like mm-hmm. and like Libby and I sort of followed that pattern we just waited a really long time to have children and then had the greatest child that's ever existed but kid, um yeah. but yeah I think I watch a movie like this, and for me, it's like watching a nature documentary. I just fundamentally cannot understand. Like, I can sympathize with it. I can empathize with it. But in a similar fashion to, like, when I used to watch Meerkat Manor and be like, oh, those meerkats, what are they up to? It's interesting. For me and Ashley, it was an attack plan. It was a blueprint. It was a... We can live this way. We can. Yeah. 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 I would, like... I would watch stuff like this or like friends or where, you know, a bunch of, there were a bunch of women in my generation who watched sex in the city. And we're like, that's what I'm going to do. It uh, just felt so far away from me. It just felt like it could never possibly happen. The fact that I live in Los Angeles and like have all these things in my life now just seems like, it seems like it happened to somebody else, not to that person. So what were you going to say, Ashley? I was just going to say, yeah, I, I think maybe Allison and I had the benefit of, of growing up in New Jersey, which means you're just a train ride away from New York. Mm-hmm. And, my blueprint was <laughs> for better for worse. Uh oh, was a party girl. 
Like I, I saw that. Yeah. Book. Yeah. You lived it. And you like, I wanted to weird and live in a weird rundown loft in Chinatown and have all my clothes hanging on random hangers just around and go out and, and go to the dance clubs, which we did. Allison and I did, um, life and life and pyramid limelight. we went to pyramid a bunch no that, limelight. and I, I remember thinking i was very progressive because my plan was i was like i'm not gonna get married till i'm 28 i was like that felt very old and i was like i am going to be an independent woman and live my life and i'll get married old at 28 and uh yeah no cut to me being 36 and actually getting married <laughs> but um and even then i was like how are we ready for this step i mean we had been together for 11 years so (laughs) yes but yeah i i feel like um i but i i feel like i know like i have cousins who who grew up more like you did emily where it was like yeah you know you you might wait until you graduate college like that was a move you you wait until you're 21 and then you start having kids. And it's so interesting to me to have, I have friends who are just having kids now. Obviously you guys just had a baby, Allison, you have a two-year-old, Kara has a mm-hmm. four-year-old. Our friend Genevieve is pregnant currently. We're all, you know, the same. I don't, I don't know how old you are, Emily, but the rest of us are in our forties. And then I have friends from high school who have kids who are about to go into, you know, who are about to go into high school. And yeah. it is, yeah such an incredible culture gap. I have high school friends whose kids graduated from high school and I like look at them on Facebook and I'm like, whatever. And by the way, I mentioned earlier, I'm 17. I'm sure that just kind of like got glossed right. over, but yeah, I'm yeah. 17. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I, I want to ask a, a question that seems a little off topic, but I am curious as to your thoughts. Um, the, the whole fourth wall breaking in this movie, which is sparse kind of just there when it feels like being there um but i i i'm curious like i didn't i just didn't know why we why it was there it works fine i generally don't like people breaking the fourth wall this for whatever reason works but yes Alison, you know what you raised I, your I think, hand. yeah <laughs> i'm too used to google meets um i do it's funny because i think what ashley said is so right about campbell scott being like a judd and um, I do think it was a, it was like a weird moment in time. It's like, you know how, oh, this baby, stop looking at me, baby. It's, it's ridiculous. Get out of here. But the, um, yeah. the real world, having the confessionals yeah. interspersed, yeah. it's funny. I'm like, is this a chicken or the egg thing? Like the first season of real world, the New York had aired, right? By the time this was like being made. So I kind of wonder if it was like a, a thing of the moment. Oh, that's and interesting. I, my brain sort of forgave it because it feels like, that, that, a confessional. that could absolutely be true and it, I, I didn't i didn't dislike it but actually what did you think i mean i didn't mind it i will say the scene that always sticks with me <laughs> is the it's not a break the fourth wall moment exactly it's sort of a breaking the fourth wall in the middle of a very bizarre fantasy sequence is the sex scene sure 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 talk and I remember being very confused. I mean, this was sort of pre-internet. And when that sportsman, I don't know any basketball Basketball player. player? Yes, correct. Yeah. Uh, Z- I believe it's Xander McDaniel. But yes. Yeah, the X-Man. The yeah. X-Man. 
Yep. Mm-hmm. Don't know anything about him. Yeah. But when he says to Steve, he says, "Don't come." Don't come. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea what that meant, and I, <laughs> I was like, I, I know it's a weird sex thing. I feel a little uncomfortable right now, but like, what? And so I was very flummoxed by that, and it was definitely a few years until I was like, oh. oh. That 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 pseudo joke kind of makes sense now. Yeah, it, I mean, what's interesting about the fourth wall stuff is that there's two instances where uh, the first is Campbell Scott talking to camera, telling us about you know romance and what have you, and then he refers to Cliff outside. He's like, "Hey, Cliff, can you keep it down? I'm talking here," and like points at the camera, and then like later, Cliff is talking to the camera and there's like movers going by. He's like, Hey guys, I'm talking like, so you're, it's like, what world are we living in here? I don't, I don't know what the rules are, but yeah, whatever. there are no rules. <laughs> it's um, just right. And it's, so just, it's just doing what it feels like. Yeah, sure. I feel like, it feels a little like high fidelity, but yeah. I, I feel like direct address to camera is always good and always bad simultaneously. It's just like, that's a great point. There's no way to do it that's not like doesn't draw you in just a little bit, and there's no yeah. way to do it that doesn't repel you just a little bit. I and totally like, I, I'm I'm someone who like my <gasps> chief my chief fucking writing sample has direct address to camera, but it's just like <laughs> I love that thing that device, but it's so hard to do. You're making me remember like Sex in the City season one used to have yep. it. Yep. Yeah. And then they got rid of it. Yeah. Right. And then they just made it VO instead as opposed to talking to camera another extremely divisive device and i am i am a a big defender of voice personally i i almost always love it and i know it's you know common commonly said never do voiceover it's a crutch blah 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 but then i'm like oh yeah what about the first season of veronica mars uh checkmate Mm -hmm. sure so yeah, or, I, or Felicity. Or Felicity. I mean, I, guys, do not leave Grey's Anatomy season one out either. That was Grey's like a Anatomy. trendsetter. Yeah. That was a trendsetter. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I I did. I, I struck the other day alongside Winnie Holzman of My So Called Life. Oh, that's awesome. like My So Called Life is like my yeah. show, and the 60 way minutes. That, yeah, the way that she uh, used voiceover there, like voiceover's great, talking yeah. to cameras great. All shows should have to do both at the same time. And Winnie Holzman should be very afraid if I ever. <laughs> line because i have definitely made you know that there was at least another episode broken post her learning that that brian krakow wrote that letter and like my life's mission is to find out what happened next you know oh, oh carrie gologly routinely is like remember when abc ruined our generation of women by being like the guy who's their best friend and can't read he's the one he's the he's it yeah, it's really Troy and and Jordan Catalano. Jordan Catalano, those are the ones. Those are the ones, but uh, she was about to fix it. She was about to fix it. Although Brian Krakow is like a little bit toxic in his own right. Talk about oh, yeah, like, he's, got- he's like mm-hmm. the, the the ultimate like nice guy. Nice guy. But I think he was going to grow out of it. He was just a little bitter. And of course he's bitter because Jordan sucks. Like just objectively sucks. Yep. But he's so hot. So it's like, you know, that's really the conundrum all the time. I, I, and then he, he goes on to give an amazing performance in House of Gucci, which like is an important thing. It's, it's true. It's true. Well, and I was reminded of his first work in a secret deodorant commercial with Denise Richards in 1991. That really makes you go, Jared. <laughs> 
have Who's a that? strong suspicion that you are being very sarcastic, Emily, but I actually kind of liked him in House of Gucci. I he love might be him. my favorite performance in that movie. I quite, love honestly. him in House of Gucci, and I yeah. don't think it's I like I don't think it's I don't know what he's doing, but I love I him. <laughs> and I'm not a Jared Leto fan. I just was like, look at this I, guy, he's given his all. He yeah. is so committed and you actually end up liking his character because he's such a fucking goon. It's just like, how, I, why, how, so many questions. But I was here for it. Like, I walked out of that theater being like, all right, Jared Leto, okay. Um, I do, yeah. I want to say that that to, to what you guys were saying about devices, I think that ultimately any device, if done well, works. If it's done poorly, it's done poorly. Wow. And I think that... I know, but I just think that the the because I, I agree with what you were saying, Ashley, about how voiceover has like this weird stink on it, and I'm just like, it, first of all, it works in movies all the fucking time, like Goodfellas or any number of Scorsese films that have incredible voiceover work. Like it's it can be a great device, and I, I think that generally speaking, direct address to camera can sometimes give me the 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 you know uh, creeps, but it, it works. Oh, can we talk I, about another? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm glad we agree that Angela Chase should have ended up with Rayanne. That would have been yeah, a yes, great yes. relationship. I agree with that. I they would have made each other better. Rayanne is doing fine. Rayanne is, I think, a princess in Europe somewhere. She is yeah. now, yes. A countess. <laughs> countess. So she. Yeah. yeah. What were you going to say, Allison? I was going to say, can we talk about a device called cameos? Because this There's, film has some cameos. Yeah, Cameron Crowe has a cameo, which is kind yes. of funny as the music reporter, um, which feels very improv just in terms of like what Matt Dillon's doing. Like, it just feels like he's just riffing. It's great, but it, it doesn't, it feels completely just like unmoored. Um, there's obviously Eric Stoltz has a cameo as a very loud mime. Um, <laughs> Peter Horton, Peter Horton shows Peter up, Horton director of the a... Grey's Anatomy pilot. <laughs> yep. In a fantastic. Also, I kept thinking, like, did these girls? You know how Debbie in the movie has a roommate, yes. Pam, who's yeah. also wonderful and like yes. another great supporting female mm-hmm. in this. Um, they did they share a bedroom? If these are single occupancy, is that the idea? These two are sharing a bedroom, right? Like they're like roommates because these I are don't... all singles apartments that's the whole oh, joke that's when you pull out. i didn't even think about that there she's the only one who has like lives with someone right ash yes this baby, i can't that's know, like... it's a detail that escaped me <laughs> like, so I'm like, peter I'm horton like... plays yeah, a peter hot horton. bicyclist uh tim burton has his only uh acting role uh, as of yet video um, dating service where, where he says uh twenty dollars <laughs> rather than ten dollars <laughs> Um, and 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 creates a, a dating video for Debbie that is a comedic highlight of this movie. <laughs> it's a, it's delightful. Um, who else is in this? Gus Van, Sant, Gus Van Gus Van Sant is like yeah, seen yeah. moving furniture, right? Paul Giamatti, which is not technically a cameo, but one of his first speaking roles, just sucking face very very intensely um, <laughs> on a date, um, which is kind of amazing. Yeah, this movie's kind of packed with a bunch of like you know bit players it's it's kind of incredible i was uh, i was thinking about about this as well in terms of like how i feel a bit out of touch with some of the movies of this era like there are all these people that are like famous where i don't know why they're famous and then i watched this movie and i was like oh that's why they're famous okay like i will i will there are these movies that are like iconic early 90s uh 20 something movies and everybody in them went on to become famous. And I just never saw them. And now I'm like, oh, Kira Sedgwick. Okay, that's where she comes from. Interesting. 
Mm-hmm. But I, you know, you said it earlier, Emily, when you were talking, we were talking about Cameron Crowe and this idea of like Hallmark cards. He does very much write like lines that he knows are going yes. to like pop. Do you know what I mean? Like when yeah. he, you know, um, Jerry uh, Maguire I, has 17 of them, has a million of them, right? Like catchphrase lines that feel just believable enough coming out of someone's mouth that it doesn't feel like a catchphrase potentially. Oh, you mean like that's a very nice hat and I don't mean that in an Eddie Haskell kind of way. Like that was the commercial, Emily. When you were like, I feel like I've seen, I'm watching a commercial. That was like all I remember from the ad campaign of the movie. Yeah. I mean, there's like, you know, emotional ponytail guy, uh, emotional larceny. He's Mr. Sensitive Ponytail Man. Um I think not having an act is your act. I mean, there's just like stuff that, and then there's even just like um, Cameron Crowe-isms. I think about like her opening the door for him. Like that's such a Cameron Crowe thing to like get so focused on like a little thing that feels so meaningful in some bizarro way. Um, And obviously the the, the garage door opener, which we talked about as well. But like, there's just... um, things about like even just uh steve's train feels like jerry Maguire's memo and it feels like, like uh lloyd dobler's mma obsession right, yeah right 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 people getting very kind of like obsessive in a way that can be charming but also psychotic i think there's this thing um in in, in novels there's this famous second novel problem which is you've used all your stuff in novel one and novel two you don't have anything left there's like, I think I'm convinced there's an opposite second novel problem, which is now you just throw everything else you have into the same thing and hope it works. I feel like Cameron Crowe is perpetually trying to do that. Like, and sometimes it does work. Jerry Maguire, it works, but you get to like Elizabethtown, which I know Phil is your favorite film of all time. This and is like, not my favorite it, film, but I did defend it. I was like, and it, it, it just, but it's just like, there's so much in there that it becomes so top heavy that it just crumbles. Yeah, and this movie's, this movie's very much like I've put in Everything I can think of. Here's direct address to camera. Here's like five billion oh, cameos. Flashbacks. Uh, yeah. There's a flashbacks. you get to flashback to college yeah. and the safe sex party. And the, and, the and him about... as a little kid on the playground yep. talking about spam. Uh like it, it's it's it is exactly what you're what you're saying, Emily. Actually, you look like you had something you want to say. Oh no. I was I was just I was trying to remember I'm gonna my favorite line in the movie, which I'm going to massacre right now, but it's just when Eddie Vedder says Bees, man. That's my favorite line in the whole movie. Oh, shocking that Eddie Vedder is your favorite line in this movie. I, I, I that's I'm, I'm glad I was us. sitting down. Yeah, we're huge in Belgium. Uh, you know, it's it's like it's so hard for me to parse through whether or not I think this is a good movie, just because it holds such a little special same. I totally agree with you guys. And it's, it's cause like I went through, I knew I had a feeling Emily that you had not seen this film before. Um, so when I hit play on it, I went through kind of an emotional journey of being like, I'm trying to be critical of this thing. And, and I just hadn't sat down and really watched it, watched it in such a long time that I yeah. tried not to put it under too much of a microscope and be unfair to it. But I also feel like it's, it's kind of a, you had to be there movie. I too. just, I just want to say that my baby agrees with y'all because she just pulled the microphone out of the USB. She was like, you don't get to talk anymore. You're wrong. <laughs> You're wrong. Let's pick They're a different right. 1992 movie. I, I also think that there's a lot of deliveries in this movie of line deliveries that I love. Uh, Janet saying, You're a surgeon. Many, many babes are into it. <laughs> 
<laughs> like the way that people deliver no one speaks like that um yeah. but it it just works i think um, yeah i think this movie is three really good movies sure. smashed together into one sure. one okay movie sure. because like yeah it just kind of like i get what he's going for and i get the structure that he's trying to do and i think it's really cool it's just like yeah, there, there, there's just like little beats that are elided in each arc that just kind of. Sure. Oh, there's also like, oh my god, you're reminding me now. I'm like, there's like chapters. Yep. There's yes. like, it, there's like title card interstitials. Yes. It it's all, literally has every device. It's yeah. all his ideas. He put them in the same thing, yeah. and it just, you know, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. And for a young Allison and Ashley, it just didn't get better than that. Weirdly, I, weirdly, I have a question. Go ahead. Yes, please. Which is. I would love to hear just because again the the soundtrack was as important yeah. Yeah. as the movie itself. Mm-hmm. But I would love to hear each of your top three tracks from this. Emily, can you name three? You know what? When in fucking order, by the way. When fucking Drown by Smashing Pumpkins came on, I that was that was my shit. I was yeah. a Smashing Pumpkins head back then. Same. And now, you know, Billy Corgan, of course, totally normal guy. Nothing totally weird normal. going on There's there. nothing weird about him. What do you mean? But, Allison uh, makes a note to go Google Billy Corgan. I'm like, what's <laughs> happened? I don't even know. Allison, if you have not done yourself the favor or anyone listening to this podcast, please Google Billy Corgan Thunder Mountain Roller Coaster. I've seen that. It's I've seen the that. best thing that's ever happened. Um, <laughs> we actually got to use Drown in the season of Yellow Jack. Oh yeah. So I listened to my vinyl version of the soundtrack before recording this episode. So it is fresh in my brain. But I I will also say, as was my want back in the day, um kind of jumped around a lot in this soundtrack. Like I don't know that I sat down and listened to the soundtrack cover to like you know, start to finish, generally speaking. There were songs that I really loved. Um, Smashing Pumpkins is one of them. Um, I, I got to be honest, look, Waiting for Somebody That's fantastic. works for me. I think it's oh, great. I love I it. Think it's, I, think it's a, I think it's a jam. And yes. State Love and Trust. Like, you can't go wrong with that. I mean, yeah. I mean, not only is it such a bop, but it's very strange because Paul Westerberg hmm? went from being, like, the baddest bad boy with the replacements and and there's actually i think it resurfaced recently there's um a clip of the replacements playing saturday night live and harry dean stanton was the guest host and what a show all like banned from snl forever in perpetuity after that because they all just got fucking wasted for an entire week straight and yet even though (laughs) Even though they are clearly just out of their minds on stage, they still put on a good show. Like, it's fucking great. But for Paul Westerberg to go from being, like, you know, kind of punk garage band bad boy to writing these, like, fun little bops for the single soundtrack is, like, so bizarre to me, and I love it. I uh, There's this Stephen King short story called uh, If There's a Rock and Roll Heaven, uh, where, oh, yeah. uh, some, where some tourists get so stranded good. in a town where all the dead musicians live and then you can't leave because it's, you know, the afterlife. For me, that's going to be going to a world where it's just endlessly Harry Dean Stanton introducing the replacements. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Hell oh my yeah. god, nightmares and dreamscapes pull, Emily. No big deal. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I... 
I do agree. Uh, this morning, I I tested out the two Paul Westerberg jams on my two-year-old son, Walt, and he oh. lost his mind. He yeah. absolutely loved it. Uh, those two in State of Love and Trust are my favorite. Sure. This tape and the Rally Bite soundtrack tape were my pump-up jams, <laughs> driving into New York with my mom for auditions. Aww, so my poor mom has heard those soundtracks. Birth Ritual was always my least favorite. Yeah. And now I kind of respect it. Like, I like it when I listen to it now. So for our listeners, perhaps uh, our younger listeners that don't know this soundtrack, I'm just going to just say which songs are on this soundtrack. Wood by Alice in Chains. Breath by Pearl Jam. Seasons from the Poncier tape. <laughs> well, and, which has Spoon Man on it, too. <laughs> Does. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dyslexic Heart played by Paul Wisterfeld. Uh, a cover of the Battle of Evermore by the Lovemongers. Uh, Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thorns by Mother Lovebone. Everyone's oh, favorite. so good. That would be my honorable mention. Uh, Birth Ritual, Soundgarden, City Eleven Trust, Pearl Jam, Overblown by Mud Honey, Waiting for Somebody, Paul Westerfeld, May This Be Love by Jimi Hendrix, Nearly Lost You, Screamy Trees, which is also a great song. Fucking love that mm-hmm. song. Yeah. And Drowned by the aforementioned Smashing Pumpkins. Wait, it's Paul um, Westerberg. Paul Westerberg. Yeah. Sorry, Westerberg. did I say Feld? Sorry, my apologies. I like it. <laughs> this is alter ego. <laughs> Ashley? It'd be so hard to sh- I mean, my number one with the bullet is State of Love and Trust. I love that song so much. Yeah. yeah. And then I think I'd be waiting for somebody. And then it's a tie for me between Drown and Nearly Lost You. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what's also interesting about this movie and why I think I also, part of why I love State of Love and Trust, which is a great song, the, the needle drop into it and the cut into it is perfection because it's just like it really just throws you into that moment and what it must have been like to see these bands actually performing in these dive bars like it really must have I assume it felt special like it's crazy and you have the shot of like the whole crowd dancing to it and you see there's like guys up on molding and pillars and I'm like, oh yeah, remember like the even flow video? It's like all about Eddie Vedder just watching them climb the scaffolding and jump. (laughs) I saw I saw Pearl Jam in 2000. No, this would have been like 98. Okay. At, at Whoa. Garden. And it it was it was an interesting make or break moment because I went with my friend Andy, who I am still friends with to this day. But he bought three tickets for himself and and me and the girl he was fucking on his freshman dorm floor. And he bought completely fake tickets. Just like, I remember he showed them to me and I was like, Andy, what have you done? Like, there was no pro triple X. Like, what are, what are you doing? Why did you think these were real? So there was a lot of disappointment and we ran to the, um, we ran to the will call and we were like, are there any tickets available? Are there, and they were like, we have two tickets. And I was like, Andy, this is a real friendship test. And uh, he made the right decision, so we're still. Wait, friends. what did the girl? She just didn't go. She just went home. Yeah. <laughs> oh but it was a great show, and she's actually- in her own version of singles, yeah. where she was like na 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 na, just like walking <laughs> home after. It's like the slow version of dyslexic heart plays, and she's been That's like incredible. passed over. And and he totally climbed the rafters. That's amazing. Played State of Love and Trust, which I was so excited about. And I, I also think what's great about that song is like, is is it clear that he's singing in English? Like, I can do a great of that song, and it's like State of Love and Trust is a busted down. 
Can we? Are the lyrics even available? Is yeah, my question. So while are I was they? watching, while watching this, movie, I never want to know what they are. No, TJ was available. No, but TJ was like, Allison, how do you know every word to every song in this movie? And I was like, It's called a tape insert. You'd pull out the accordion paper tape insert. I'd read along true. next to my That's stereo true. in That's my true. bedroom and learn the words. <laughs> it's called dedication. Generations. Uh, get, yeah, get I mean that is <laughs> that song. I mean Eddie notoriously mumbling through most of his lyrics i mean not what? not not an enunciator it's not it's not quite at the level of yellow lead better which i'm still not convinced is is words at all but it's close and that's what makes it but it's still like such a jam you're just like like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what he's saying it's yeah. so so i have a question for the group um which is uh of the men or women in this film Mm-hmm. Who would you actually want to date? Campbell Scott. We've covered this. <laughs> All right. Sorry, Ashley. <laughs> well, Eddie better, but other than <laughs> Campbell Scott. Okay. So, so Eddie better. Uh, what about you, Allison? I mean, Campbell Scott's essentially like every dude I had a crush on, in, like early to mid twenties. So sure, Campbell Incredible. Scott, absolutely. Okay. I mean, the way that man tucks a shirt into a, a khaki, like, yeah. You dated like at least two Campbell Scotts that I can think of. Oh I man, and 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 there's countless others I liked who wouldn't give me the time of day. I mean, absolutely, just a type. Incredible, yeah. uh, Emily. Did you know that the rights to the 1995 film Angus were sold by New Line Cinema to a private individual, and now you can't screen the film because some person just owns the movie Angus? What? That seems uh, off topic. Do you want to answer I was, question? uh, I was, I was, you were talking about the soundtrack, and I was like, What's the soundtrack I imprinted on? And it's the uh, soundtrack oh, to the Angus. movie Angus. Sorry, my, apologies. my apologies, I didn't and know I where that came looked from. At, I went and looked I it up, and I was gonna give oh, you my top Green three. I was gonna give you my top three songs off the Angus soundtrack, and Wait, I, actually, I want to hear, I want to hear, I feel like good call lo- has performed some. Yeah, uh, Am I Wrong by Love Spit Love is, is oh. so fucking good i love that Kills. song it deserves to be rediscovered um i had the other two yeah the the green day song jar jar and uh yeah the weezer song you gave your love to me softly that's such oh, a, i don't even think i can think of it that's uh, the angus that soundtrack anyway the film <laughs> the rights to the film angus are now privately held so um you know okay. if you uh I anyway I, who do i want to who do i want to date um yeah Tim Burton? I don't know. No, I... Well, I'm amazed I, that I, Bill Pullman is not even, like, on this... Like, you guys are just... I mean, he's Dr. where Jeff, I'm going. On. He's where I'm going, but he, there's... Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he's... he's. Wow. I, I was leaning toward Bill Pullman or Sheila Kelly. I think those, oh, those are my Debbie. two. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I you'd mean, have stories if you dated Debbie. Come you to where the stories. flavor is. Come to Debbie country. All I want... I... All I want is stories. Wait, you, you know who also, remember, Ashley, when you kind of settled in on Eddie Vedder, I was like, well, who am I going to pick in Pearl Jam? And there's only one other choice, and that's Stone Gossard. And I think the guy holds up. Like, I absolutely watching Stone Gossard, I was like, I made the right choice if I had to, like, pivot. Stone Gossard's a dream. Yeah. So he'd be another another real viable option for, for 12-year-old Allison. <laughs> 
Um, I so I want to talk for a very, very quick second. The Debbie stuff, which feels also sort of kind of a, a storyline. Again, your your Emily's initial point of this feeling like a pilot is very true. Like there's just these things. It is but, either it is it is either a mo- it is either like a 45 minute television pilot that is trying to do too much, or a Magnolia <laughs> that's trying to do too little. It's kind of in between the two. And like again, yeah. I like this movie, and actually, this discussion has made me like it a lot more. But it's still, it's just this <laughs> like neither fish nor fowl kind of thing. So yeah. Debbie gets a video cassette of guys that are interested in dating her, <laughs> which is pretty incredible. There's one guy who's just it's a tight shot of his face, just saying, "I'm very, very, very lonely." Um, there's a guy putting a metal spike through a balloon. Um, there's it's, that's the guy I want to date. Metal spike balloon man. <laughs> Not Peter Horton. Peter Horton kind of hotness, right? Kind yeah, of Horton. Yeah. Peter Horton, a, a babe. But listen, he does he have a metal spike in a balloon? No, he doesn't. He doesn't. That's that's true. That's true. Uh, I so I, I think that ultimately I feel like oh right, Debbie ends up with Victor Garber because of course she does at the end of this. Movie that's fucking great. That's so good. I want to end up oh, with Victor right. Garber. That's the other cameo. Isn't Tom Scarrett's apparently in this movie too? I did not. Yes, he he's the him. mayor. Yeah, he's the mayor who says, "Oh, I'm who gonna... says no at lunch to the super yeah. train?" Yeah, he's like, yeah, I'm going to yeah. give you an answer, and then I'm going to thank you for your time. No, I feel like I feel like to Gen X, Tom Scarrett represented the man. Like he was just in so I- many oh, things. Poison Ivy. Poison Ivy. I was yeah. just listening to the Crane Along with podcast about the Lolita, mm-hmm. and I was like, mm-hmm. I forgot about that movie. Yeah, that movie Oof. is a lot. We liked it, though. This Poison Ivy fucking rules. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Listening to the podcast, I'm like, I got to finally watch this because as Ashley knows, Allison played by the rules. And when I saw that VHS tape at 14, I was like, that's not for me. That's okay. Not we, Wait, so we... you watch any R-rated films until you were legally allowed uh, to? No, I did. Like Die Hard and stuff. Like, whatever my dad watched. I, get, I snuck stuff. Allison was the buzzkill at all of our bigger sleepover parties. <laughs> I didn't see Pretty Woman until I had a, I was four months postpartum. Allison, we would have been such good friends. My best, my best friend in high school was named Allison, and now I think she might have been you. So we we procured Pretty Woman for a sleepover party. It was Frida's sleepover, I think. Right? No, yeah, it was at Frida's house. Yeah, at her like her out sunroom we were all so excited we're like we're gonna get to watch pretty woman this is fucking great and allison just kept saying i'm not allowed to watch that though i'm not allowed to watch it i'm just i'm not allowed to watch it you guys can go watch it but i'm not allowed to watch it and we were like jesus fucking christ and then yeah and then there was a threesome incident where you literally covered your ears and closed your eyes in the theater and said we have to leave so you were um god was watching just just for for context uh Mm -hmm. you were with your mother correct yeah i think that's what it was it was like i think if we had just been it was the day kurt cobain died ashley frida and i like convinced mrs lyle to like drown our sorrows you me frida monica or joan i can't christina shaheen i don't know i don't know pretty sure i was there i think (laughs) emily the other allison went to this like janky theater in long branch new jersey and and the problem with threesome was the market (laughs) was deceptive so like i don't know if you guys remember the marketing for the movie threesome but they made it look like a fun rom-com romp yeah 
and like very reality bites esque kind of. Yes, that, that's what that we thought we were getting. Yeah, thought we were getting into reality bites. Like ten minutes in, there's like an extended oral sex scene. We're all feel. My mom is sitting right next to us. We're already very sad about Kurt, and it was just like a bad vibe all around. Very yeah. uncomfortable, and so yeah, we left. But also, Allison literally did like a monkey see monkey. Like she just she just covered her ears. And- My mom could have been in the FBI. I think she would have found out that I had watched that. I'm pretty sure. Um, oh, that- oh, oh, yeah. I saw the um, 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at a party, and I just like stood in the back of the room and mumbled about how it was satanic to myself for a while. <laughs> And then when it was over, everyone else at the party wanted to play because for some reason I was at a fucking little boy's sleepover. I don't know why they let that happen. But all the everybody else wanted to play Ninja Turtles, and I was like, "Can I be April O'Neil?" And they were like, "Sure." <laughs> so it ended up being a really validating experience for me. But you know, the satanic movie. So weirdly, though, we did watch Pet Cemetery like five hundred all times. the time. I mean, I still think about every movie set. I'm like, well, we all got to be careful because Eddie Furlong's mom got electrocuted in the middle of a scene. Set safety. That's how it opens? Yes, Pet Cemetery Two is just him watching her get electrocuted. Was it T Two that created this love for Eddie? For- what was the movie that uh, T Two Pet Cemetery Two and a movie called A Home of Our Own starring Kathy Bates, where she like basically I don't know they build a house. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I was so, you know, I knew his whole story. He was discovered outside the Pasadena Girls and Boys Club, which I occasionally drive by and wistfully think about that moment. Even the man, like, married his, like, former tutor (laughs) as a minor. And I'm still, like, like, thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, uh, Fred Savage was a gateway drug. That was like, oh, this is sweet and safe. Eddie Furlong was not sweet and safe. There was a real progression because you started with Fred Savage, which I never got. I was like, mm, no, mm-hmm. no, not not edgy enough for me. But then, then we both locked into Elijah Wood, which is a very weird thing to say now. Now, sure, yeah. Coworker, um, and is a lovely human being. But I was more Brandis. I went Jonathan Brandis a little Jonathan harder. Brandis. So there was a lot of like ladybugs, but you were also on the Elijah <gasps> North. We watched The Good Son, A Billion. Mm-hmm like actually kind of holds up and then yeah Yeah. it's it's funny one thing i was thinking about when revisiting this for this podcast because strangely this has come up a lot lately is just the formative media that taught me and all my friends about relationships and sex because that's you know i i feel like we maybe parents these days are a little more forthcoming but like I don't, I never got a sex talk. I think my mom gave me a book in a very awkward way at one point. And that seems to be a very common experience. So it was like books and movies were the way that you learned about it. And it's amazing that I have like anything resembling a healthy relationship to relationships and love and sex because it was like Stephen King um, got a lot of early sex ed from Stephen King novels then movies like Reality Bites and Singles, which are not necessarily super healthy. And then I just, uh, our friend Alicia and I just blew a bunch of our guy friends' minds because they were unaware of Flowers in the Attic. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, we all read Flowers in the Attic. I mean, that was like the thing. And it was like, well, and so upsetting. Like, yeah, you know, it's about a brother and a sister who are locked in an attic for years by their crazy grandmother and then they have sex with each other and they 
the guys were like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, no, that's how you learned about sex. It was like, you know, incest porn, basically. And I was just like, wait, now that I say that out loud, I realize it's upsetting. <laughs> I'm just going to say that, that being on the other side of this situation in the sense of having parents that were very open about sex, oh, yeah, also not great, also doesn't give you a great sort of perspective on it, really give you a healthy place to grow from. I had, I vividly remember my father and my stepmother making me read a book about sex in between them. Like, literally, no. like at like, I think I no. was like nine or 10. And it was like, it was called, Where Did I Come From? And it was like oh, a yeah, picture a book one. about sex. I already knew. So I was just like, please make this. Playing stop. along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Cause I was just like, where's yeah. the ripcord out of this conversation? And then I had a mother who was like selling pot to my friends in high school and like talk, give, talk, give, telling them jokes about blowjobs. I was just like, this, none of this is good. So my, my parents combo plattered um, the sex talk and there's no Santa. And I was like, I can only take one of these things at once. They were like, process both of those home from a fundraising event and just were like, let's do it. Like, Don't tell Emily like, still thinks is Santa's that? real. So <laughs> no, no. is it like, is it like so that your brain is overloaded and you couldn't get too upset about either one? I'm just saying that you I was still more love upset Santa. about That's Santa. Oh yeah, I was more Emily. You do love Santa. I was more upset about Santa. I love Christmas. I, I love get Santa. It. I actually was told Santa was not real at the age of three, and it was a terrible decision that was made to me. But uh, yeah, I but it's made there... it's really metastasized your love of Christmas, though. Everything that was forbidden from me as a child <laughs> has just turned into a horrible moment. <laughs> like it's all a bit now that you yeah. owned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's. Uh, I it's cannot strange. believe we got here from singles. I hey, love this. whatever. I, I want to say this. just one other, one quick thing before we rate this movie, and then I'm I'm curious as to whether or not you guys have seen the film that we're talking about next week. Uh, we have not talked about James Legros for a quick second, which is the the ex boyfriend of oh. Linda's, who she meets in college, who I feel has been playing this role his entire career like he is always mr sensitive ponytail i i feel as though oh, that guy yes that yes guy. yes that he gets back to and girls Andy. he's in drugstore cowboy he's like he's a great like character actor but i just feel like he's always this guy uh andy yeah that, that was, i think it was the character name. but um yeah i mean i i i like this movie just fine but um i'm curious as to your ratings for this movie you guys I'm curious what you thought of it in, in the 90s when you saw it, what your rating for it was then, and what your rating is of it now. So I'm going to let you think about that for a second while I do mine. I think that when I saw this film back in the day, I was probably at like a 89. Like, I really liked this movie. I felt like this. I also saw this movie, as you did too, before I was the age of these characters. So all these characters seemed like super fucking cool, right? Like all of them were just like, oh, I'm going to be as cool as these people in the future for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that projection on it on, as well. Watching this again um, yesterday, it went down a little bit in my esteem. I think I'm now at like a 79. Like I, I do really like this movie, but I was starting to see some of the like Cameron Crowe stuff that was kind of not working for me as much. And it, it I still really love it. But I still, I think I was a little bit more critical of it this time. But what about you, Allison? Where, where are you? Where's young Allison and where's Allison today? I mean, young Allison was 100, like probably 90, 93, <laughs> because I didn't understand the other seven that would have taken me there, like missed some of it. Sure. Um, 
I I think I'm still pretty solidly around a 90. Like watching this gave me so much pleasure and it is such a perfect, I really respect the way that he was ahead of his time and it was such a perfect time capsule and that there are so many um, delightful touch points that still ring true amidst the slightly cartoonish elements of that lifestyle. Sure, um, sure. So that would be probably where I should go. Ashley? I mean, similar to Allison, I was probably at like a 99 when I first saw it. That that one was the the cum joke I didn't understand. I <laughs> what that is? Cum but joke minus one. I I think watching it now with clearer eyes and having um, a lot more film watching under my belt, mm. it would go down a little bit. I think I'm at a solid like eh, 83. Mm-hmm. It's still a very enjoyable movie to me. I think that it has a lot going for it, but it's it's certainly not something that is currently in my upper echelon of of all time greats. Sure. I would want to rewatch it by the way. Like that 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 means a lot That's to me like true. I kind of want to rewatch it again, so I think I'm giving it a higher score for that too. Sorry, Emily. Yeah, um, you know, uh, coming into this, I was like low 60s. Like, I liked it, but also I'm a harsher grader because like Phil's like, well, 50 is the cutoff line. And I'm like, okay, anything over 50 is a good score. But you also used to be a critic. So like I did used to be a critic. So but I was like came in like 63. This conversation has bumped me like 67, 68. I'm like, I'm into it. I like this movie. I think I would like either the 45 minute pilot or the three hour Magnolia (laughs) version better. Like it's just kind of in between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, queer phobia. Uh, I oh, yeah. there's not. It, it's kind of a not applicable because this movie is. Just, this movie's aggressively white and aggressively straight. It's gonna in say, a way so that so so yeah, straight. so true. In a way that plays kind of strangely in 2023. Like obviously, a lot of the movies we're watching are very white and very straight, but like this movie doesn't seem to be aware that non-straight people exist. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and I wonder if. It, it's sort of between 90 that there is sort of a turning point like not to bring it up again but just having rewatched yeah. party girl mm-hmm. which is such a queer film mm-hmm. and um it, it's so c- celebratory of queer culture in new york i also wonder like i personally know almost nothing about queer culture in seattle during the grunge phase sure so, like i i don't know if they're if they're kind of just being a little myopic or if it's really just a product of its time. But, you know, it is interesting because on the one hand it is so white and so straight, but it's also not problematic in an aggressive way. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of just like, just there. I'm also, I'm also kind of like, I don't want to see Cameron Crowe writing queer people. I just think he'd like get (laughs) it really wrong. Also accurate. I, I do think, too, we've talked about this a little bit in previous episodes, Emily, but, like, because we're in 92, there's still a little bit of that 80s hangover that's happening at the top mm-hmm. of the decade. And you also have, this is an election year, you've obviously got Clinton winning later this, you know, later in this year. And it does feel like that kind of ushers in a lot of stuff, too. Like, you have this weird George H.W. Bush bridge from Reagan, but, like, what kind of this Clinton is, ushers in does change this kind of is, everything. This is definitely a year when there's a lot more subtextually queer stuff. Like we 
obviously single white female it's a movie about how all women want to become each other and possibly sure. kiss each other like yeah. just white the true jump. statement uh yeah there's there is a weird homoeroticism to white man can't jump but like i feel like philadelphia comes out in 93 and it's actually a yeah. really big hit and that like sort of clues hollywood into we can be more forthright mm-hmm. about this stuff sure. so yeah this is right before the philadelphia moment yeah it's true um so uh next week we are talking about Nora Ephron's directorial debut, This Is My Life. I don't, don't know if you guys I don't know it. I actually think you guys would love this movie. I love Nora uh, Ephron. It's, it's her first movie. It's, I mean, it literally, as you can imagine, I think it made like $5. Um, it was, uh, it stars Julie Kavner as a single mom who is trying to be a stand-up right. comedian. And it is really really good she obviously wrote and directed she co-wrote it with her sister delia um and uh it's actually based on a meg woolitzer book which is also interesting uh it's it's all very sort of like you know she does sleep in seattle the next year so like which obviously like puts her on the map and turns you know her career into what it is but this was the first thing that she did gabby hoffman is also in it as her daughter samantha mathis oh. plays her other daughter um it's a really good movie emily have you seen it by any chance no I, I have think not. you're really going to like not. it. It's yeah, a, it's I, a really I, funny, smart kind of, um, we have Carrie Corrigan coming on to talk about it. Um, I highly recommend you guys check it out. I think you would really dig it. Um, love it. And, you know, it's Nora Ephron. So like, uh, you know. No, I do. How I bad do can it be? Um, but honestly, thank you so much, guys, for coming on and talking about singles with us. Thank you for having us. This is a blast. <laughs> this was an absolute joy, as always. And can't wait, to, Allison. Let's not wait uh, six years for you to come back and talk. Uh, talk to us. I Al- have Allison, a toddler. Yeah. Allison, do you have feelings about? Uh, I I like to call him the Big B, but his name's Beethoven. Uh, he's a Saint <laughs> so, Bernard who's in I charge. I watched Beethoven with Ashley Lyle. That's who I watched it with. Have you guys seen Beethoven for real? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. We definitely watched that together. I guess we know who's coming on to talk about Beethoven. And it's um, it's Bill Clinton, actually. Well, it He's also, sick. you know, it features it features my husband's biggest Hollywood crush. Oh. Bonnie Hunt. Uh-huh. Is that his, his biggest crush, really? Oh, I found him one day just watching old episodes of her on Letterman, and I was like, what's going on? <laughs> well, disappointed you didn't say Charles Grodin. Can I ask you guys a question, though? Okay, and I don't know if you know the answer to this. Is this about do, Beethoven? It is about Beethoven. Uh, <laughs> how many Beethoven movies are there? How many in the in the franchise of, of Beethoven are there? Uh, three. Three. You're saying six, Ashley? You're saying three, Allison? Uh, <laughs> there are nine. Whoa! <laughs> Roll over, Beethoven? <laughs> That's a lot. I mean, it, it should be said that um, after, I believe, three, they all go straight to video. Yeah. Um, but, but Beethoven's big break, he becomes a big Hollywood star. Uh, Emily and he was I... All, talked... it's, it's like a, it's like a, uh, auto, it's like a biopic, isn't it's, it? It's, it's really a biopic. Like, it's like the, about... the fucking Jackie Robinson story, but with Beethoven. It's not like the Jackie Robinson himself. story. Well, no, I just, he plays himself <laughs> as like this, this... I thought it was the Joe DiMaggio movie, but no, that right, wasn't. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Uh, Emily wants to talk about Beethoven's Christmas Adventure, obviously. She's very excited to talk about that. Yeah, um, and then Beethoven's Treasure Tale. That's when he goes on an adventure. He finds treasure. There's lots of Beethoven adventures, guys. When we um, do when we do Beethoven, I'm going to watch all nine. I'm going to watch all nine and, <laughs> and just get ready. Part I, of me wants to go on this journey with you, and part of me does not want to watch nine Beethoven movies. So I don't know what I mean, only a part. You would burn out. 
believe he, that you're not getting to Char- four. Charles Grodin's not in every one of them. No, 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 no. Charles Grodin, I think, out. he bows out at three. I do like, though, that... Beethoven's just... in all of them, though, to be clear. <laughs> it's the same dog. Um, there's, <laughs> there's two things that I think are worth mentioning. The fir- first is that uh, they name them like they are... Uh, pieces of music so beethoven's second beethoven's third beethoven's fourth beethoven's fifth so there's that and the wikipedia page says breeds and just saint bernard so i like that (laughs) they felt it was even necessary to denote what breeds are available in these movies but we're gonna talk about beethoven at some point um but yeah so there you go um guys is there Yes, go ahead, Ashley. Did you have something to say? I be wrong, because I know that I went through the list and I like was probably um, over aggressive <laughs> and was like, I'll do this one and this one and this one. <laughs> There's so many good 92 movies. Yes. But did I or did I not sign up for The Cutting Edge? Uh, you didn't, but it's yours if you want it. Okay. Yes. Okay. Alton, you want, you want to come back for Cutting Absolutely. Edge? Absolutely. I own that movie on VHS. Topic, My baby. mom loves it. Maura. Maura Kelly? It's yeah, Maura Kelly. It. Uh, it's uh, when I told Emily... The, the the premise of the cutting edge she just laughed in my face because she I couldn't love, believe it was a movie i love the cutting edge i've seen the cutting edge i love it, it. yeah it's so good. and it's db sweeney the other campbell yeah do you know who wrote and directed the cutting edge is the question oh wait it's someone good and i can't remember tony gilroy yes oh yeah oh yeah. yeah yes <laughs> That's why that just came up because I what? I did a with him recently. He was lovely, by the way. He was so nice, but everyone's so excited about um, Andor or whatever. I don't I don't do the Star Wars thing, and I all I could think was the cutting edge. When you said Star when you said Star Wars singular, I'm like, yeah, you don't do the Star Wars. <laughs> I'm not into a Star War, is what Ashley was. Uh, Ashley wants I want none of this Star War. Yeah, Cutting Edge, great movie. I do also, Ashley, your name is next to literally like seven movies on the list of 92, which I think is hilarious. Yeah, what else did I sign up for? Uh, Delicatessen, you signed up for that one as well. I mean, that thematically makes sense. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Um, hold on, let me pull it up. Oh, I mean, Betsy Bears was already like, what other movies are available? <laughs> Listen, <laughs> what can Betsy I do? is, whatever Betsy wants, uh, Betsy can have. I'm, I'm looking right now, actually, to see what other movies you uh put your name next to i've never Delic- seen delicatessen i've never seen delicatessen um didn't you did you ask for brain dead dead alive was that you did you i have your name there but i don't know if that's something that you did uh yeah. dr giggles oh oh Allison, we do dr giggles i've never seen it you just like always talked about it and i was too scared to see it that was a theme <laughs> Ashley's the only one talking about Dr. Giggles out in the world. <laughs> That's amazing. It was like a full year of my life in sixth grade where my only goal was to watch Dr. Giggles. <laughs> did you ever, or was this just a, a goal? I I think I did, honestly, because it was that and the people under the stairs. and Oh, and Faces of Death, whatever. People, you're... We did successfully convince the Hollywood video guy somehow to rent us Faces of Death as 12-year-olds, but... Um, I, love I love it. Okay, Dr. Giggles. Oh Dr. My God. Giggles. They're, they're, I mean, I... I... We'll, we'll work it out. My, my fantasy right now is that the entire listening audience is, like, heaving a collective sigh. Like, no, that's too much of her. Make, never, never. 
that's not possible no five people um, just signed up for the patreon yeah they're just like where do i sign yeah. how do i listen to more ashley lyle talk yeah. about um got, and actually if you sign up for the patreon you'll have emily and ashley's beethoven corner that's going to be a thing <laughs> that we do uh just going to go straight through the franchise yeah. okay uh th- actually where do you i don't know if do you want people following you on social media do you want to tell people where they can find you is that something you are for against i i, I don't know Sure. I mean, I'm on, I'm on Twitter. I am at Ash and Lyle, I think. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I think I have you to are? check. Yeah, I believe that is the, I believe that's the yeah, handle. I'm at, at Ash and Lyle. Um, feel free to follow me for um, occasional hot takes, some yellow jacket stuff. Um, don't be mean to me though. That would be nice. And yeah. um, <laughs> this isn't a forum too. for attacking Ashley for the course, yeah, just to I, be very clear. As someone who has gotten a couple death threats today, I am a little more reticent than usual. But um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. I keep I keep my Instagram private as you should. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And and Allison, you are also on Twitter. Are you? Are yeah, you you'll never Twitter? you'll never catch me at Allison <laughs> April. It's my name. No one's gonna crack this code. You'll never I catch barely me like tweet. Mm-hmm. Gotta catch them all. I do. I barely tweet. I do read Twitter. I feel like you're mostly there to occasionally give Danny just one more like. Yeah. Or yeah. like, yeah, Danny a gets heart. a like, yeah. someone else gets like a hype. But I, I'll like repost old commercials, you know, like from I, accounts about American Girl Dolls or shit. Like I'm there to just help you have a good moment. If you, I, if you want to follow a mom on Twitter, Allison is your, is your follow. I would, I would also actually like to take this. I do want to follow a mom. Because I need more people sending me death threats but i if if anybody is interested in um yellow jackets or fun twitter mm. i would actually like to promote um our um one of our support staff on yellow jackets who incidentally wrote all of the um episode synopses this season which oh those cool uh, yellow ruled papers and yeah, things if you enjoyed the carl havoc reference in the yellow jacket synopsis we then did. You may enjoy this. He also wrote the um, voicemails that Lottie and Lisa, um, if you call the number from the um, Sunshine Honey uh, hotline, um, he is responsible for all of this. He is at Danny Mears. You may remember him for dumping Mari for his own cousin. Uh, And his Twitter is really fun. So somebody called. And if you want to see someone who loves to troll me, on Twitter, Danny Mears yeah. is a really good follow. So you've got that too. If you want to see someone torture Phil online, then Danny is the place to be. Someone else torture me online. Just to be clear, there are a lot of people that <laughs> already people do it. Can as subscribe is. to this show to, <laughs> yeah, to, get, some, to get some. Did of you that guys content. know Phil is amped about the Barbie movie? I am. Amped I am too, though. I am too. <laughs> so I am too. Just, I'm really amped. I, mean, I just. I made somebody watch the trailer today. I don't do that anymore. It's a good trailer. What's come over me? Yeah, I love it. Um, well, there you go, guys. That was singles. And, this this feels like an episode a long time in the making. Uh, I'm so thrilled that we were I able know. to make it happen, guys. This is thank I, you for I mean, you guys. Ugh. I can't There's, wait to talk. You know, Beethoven cutting edge with you guys. <laughs> There's one plot line we got to resolve that mm. we just didn't come back. Mm-hmm. Phil, I got to ask you a question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Go Do ahead. you own the rights to the 1995 <laughs> film Angus, which are privately held by an unknown collector? I'll never tell. <laughs> I'll never tell. <laughs> um, all right, guys. Thank you so much. Oh, my soon. God. Thank you. Bye. Bye.